0: my generation it was very few people that picked the arts I knew I was pushing the boundaries when I decided to do it my parents were kind of hoping I'd go down the pharmacy or accountancy route I do remember having that conversation and my dad being a bit upset any kind of exhibition the art gallery had I would work with different community groups I'll be honest it was something that I really enjoyed and it was the curator of the art gallery she was just like you have to become a teacher she filled out my UCAS form but as they say what's meant to be is meant to never kind of look back and that's how the teaching career started so that's given me the freedom to kind of basically be inspired by whatever I find around me because I do feel when you're creative it's one of the most honest kind of expressions of being a human you're working straight from the heart onto a canvas I would say that my work is heavily influenced by kind of human rights and social activism the great thing about creativity is all bets are off
1: Welcome back to the Coachcast podcast. My guest today is an artist and an art teacher from Birmingham. Welcome, Sumanjith Jal. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well.
1: Good, good. I didn't know whether to do the Punjabi Jal or like the English Johal, so I was just like, whatever came up whatever just came
0: you're up. you're comfortable with. I know the English spelling is just completely way off to how we pronounce it in Punjabi, but yeah. <laughs>
1: Not even that. Remember, um, I don't even know if they're still about uh, Joe Hal Catering. Their adverts were never like Joel Catering. It was always Joe Catering on TV on all the Indian. Yeah, I
0: think that's a strange one because it's like we tend to adopt the British accent when we say our Punjabi names as a whole, don't we?
1: Yeah, 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 definitely. I think it's not just us that does that. It's like yeah, I think that happens with most names, like um, it, like David instead of David but we'll just call them David. I'm thinking of football players here because that's pretty much the most exotic uh, thing that I know of, <laughs> of like uh, different football players' names. But um, let's scrap all that because we're already on a tangent and we're not even 30 seconds in, but uh, should, we, should we jump into the the normal question I ask uh, everyone when they come on is, sort of tell me a bit about your your background, your cultural background, your upbringing in a, in a bit of context. Um,
0: okay, first generation British born. Punjabi Sikh person and uh, grew up in the West Midlands so I grew up in the 80s and 90s and pretty much I think from my generation it was very few people that picked the arts as a degree mm-hmm. so I, I'm one of those people that kind of I knew I was pushing the boundaries when I decided to do it as a degree but from there onwards i've never kind of looked back from it so yeah arts graduate and then headed into education and never really looked back from there onwards
1: so just just before we go into the art side of things obviously you mentioned that like first gen british born Punjabi and um Uh, without without sounding disrespectful but you like you're of the age where you were one of the first generations if that makes sense that you you did have to sort of balance the difficulties probably more than most because obviously like myself being 24 there is already that many Asians around that and that are already older and sort of assimilated it's a bit more well known who Sikhs are and things like that but was it any different I don't want to say back in your day because again it sounds disrespectful but but you know what I'm trying to say
0: um I think it's hard for every generation so if I think of my parents generation of course it was a lot harder for them mm-hmm. to kind of establish themselves and put their roots down here and then yeah with us it was um I'd say it depends on the areas as well so initially we grew up in Smethwick, which is a predominantly kind of Punjabi Sikh area so I was almost in this bubble culturally. I didn't really feel like I was out of sorts, but then we did move to a different area when I was, I think about nine or 10. And um that was a shock to the system. I was like the only brown kid in a primary school. Right. So yeah, that's when I really realized that, um I don't know, the whole kind of, idea of racism and where we fit in Mm -hmm. into British life and um I think it's um it's it's just one of those kind of learning curves the more you live out of an area code the more you kind of realize of what's out there
1: yeah Uh, yeah I I feel like through this sort of podcast of I always have this perception of down south predominantly like Birmingham and London being very multicultural and obviously i've spoken before about being like up in newcastle it's not as say diverse as down south so you have this perception you had that it would be quote unquote easier i guess like down south but the from obviously talking to not just yourself but others as well through the podcast i've, I've sort of realized that you get this there's areas up and down the country, which will yeah. be predominantly Asian and predominantly white, and and depending on which one you are, you will have different experiences. And it's not always to say that in them white areas you will face racism, because some places will be really, really open and welcoming, and some places might just have a few dickheads, think, and that's going to be everywhere.
0: I think it's um it's a bit of a shock to the system because we've got we've got our kind of stereotypes about regional areas, but then at the same time growing up in a predominantly Asian area, you're hardly going to hear the P word. And if you do, it's very rare. So you've got time to kind of process and almost forget about it. But when you move to a predominantly white area, I mean, one example is primary school and the beginning of secondary school. I did have some friends who were white and they would drop the P word around me all the time. And then if they did now and again pick up on my kind of like facial expression if oh but you know we don't mean you sue because another thing was they could never say sue so i got reduced down to sue
1: right yeah yeah that uh, yeah that's that's an interesting one as well like a recent conversation i had was shortening your name whether it's a good thing or a bad name or uh, adopting nicknames and i think if uh, the conversation i had was with um bilandius sorry i always say that name right wrong is just billing, basically is uh and he was basically saying that if you give the person permission to use that shortened name then fair enough but if they just say can I call you this because I can't be bothered to learn the full thing then it's a bit of a slap in the face like I think his name's just window
0: it's also like um it's whatever makes life easier like um I've been teaching for over 15 years so Mm -hmm. when I went into education it was predominantly you know White orientated, especially my subject. When you're talking of creative arts, mm-hmm. and as much as I would try and get them to say, "Well, just rhyme it with human," suman. yeah, they'd always end up saying it with a bit of a different twang to it. And then I was like, Do "You know what? Just get the first syllable, su. So that's fine." It's you know you just tend to. I didn't find that offensive. I just thought it's a minor thing. Whatever makes life easier.
1: Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. Because uh, to be fair, up, up here, I have like a nickname that all of my friends and family have sort of called me. And and until um, that conversation with, with Jas uh, uh, or just Winder, uh, I really didn't think about it too much. And then when he said it, I was like, actually, you, you've got a point. And it's obviously, it's each to their own. I think everybody's got their different perspective yeah. on, on that thing. But um,
0: well, the funny side of it is now that um, it's getting more accepted, I suppose, to kind of say, Punjabi names in the accent that they're supposed to be pronounced in, I've um, encountered the opposite, where if I do say one of my Punjabi students name in a Punjabi accent, to yes. so say if it's like Gurdip, the child almost gets embarrassed and it's like Miss <laughs> It's Gurdip and it's on its head now, so the younger generations are actually like please don't say it with a Punjabi accent and you're just thinking it's a Punjabi name, what's the harm in saying it the way it's meant to be pronounced, but okay not going to put you out if you'd rather be called gurdip i'll call you gurdip
1: yeah i think maybe maybe they just get used to it so much cuz uh, f- from personal experience like mine oh, the nickname that i get called uh, is i'm so accustomed to that that when anybody says my full name I'm just, I get thrown back a tiny bit. I'm just like, well, either something serious, I've done something terribly wrong here, <laughs> and so I'm going to get a bollocking or something, or I'm just like, this, this must be a serious conversation if you use my full name, because everybody always just calls me by my nickname. So maybe it might be that kind of situation as well, where you just get thrown off because you're that used to being called the same, the same sort yeah, of I abbreviated it's, word. Um,
0: it's personal for everyone, and it's individual for everyone. And, you know, As long as I think the intentions are true behind the actions it's not really something to be offended by but um, the example that I gave you is I genuinely knew that the child was kind of embarrassed, their driver had their name anglicised then have it said in a Punjabi accent because it's almost playing at that kind of um, you know like we've got Mr Khan and you've heard all these accents from goodness gracious me yeah it's almost like a comedy element and of course you don't want a child to get bullied because you've pronounced their name in a certain way and then all their friends are repeating it in the playground
1: yeah i get you i get you um tr- tr- sort of transitioning into in- into art then so how did you first get into into art? obviously we i've said this before to to some of the artists that i've had on so far as we do come from obviously a very rich cultural background in terms of arts not just obviously like drawings painting sculptures but also like music and 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 various sort of arts but what was your first like introduction to it
0: um i think just growing up it was um we all have our kind of hobbies and interests and i was always that kid that was drawing or painting or being creative in some way and i think um academically i was quite smart i always got really good grades with them maths, English and science, Mm -hmm. so my parents were kind of hoping I'd go down the pharmacy or accountancy route, and I actually remember when I picked A-level art, and this was really strange, the lecturers at the college asked for an interview with me and my father, and we sat down, and they were baffled, they were just like, we don't understand why she's picked art as an A-level, when she's got such good grades in maths and science, maybe That's what she needs to go into more so. Mm -hmm. And um, I do remember having that conversation and my dad being a bit upset about, you know, you won't get a job, it's a hard profession, and you're kind of letting your talents go to waste. Yeah. I think I was more kind of the way that you are when you're growing up, you're a bit more headstrong. And I, I definitely was a headstrong child. So I stuck to my guns and I did art.
1: I was going to say so like so obviously in in that meeting did I assume that he had your back but I, I assume that conversation between your dad and yourself was before then like when you were already deciding to go down that path
0: yeah but um because we were clueless why they called for this meeting they didn't give us any kind of indication why they want to have a meeting so I just thought it was part of the process of um you know enrolling into the college and for some random reason they want to have a meeting and um I'll be honest um my dad was supportive later on but he always was apprehensive he was always worried about what's going to happen with you like where are you going to end up
1: yeah again like i've spoken about this on the podcast before but it's it's that thing of like the 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 immigrant mentality of coming over doing the hardships doing like intensive labor or self-employment or waking up to self-employment and then wanting your child to have a more secure income because so they don't have to go through what they went through and yeah. i think that is it is i
0: think that's fair enough as well because with <laughs> my father he he actually came here at the age of 11 so he's been through the british school system right. and um, he was a qualified mechanic and he's worked as a mechanic all his life but then at the same time he's run his own businesses <laughs> so he was burning the candle at both ends and i think that's why they just they wanted their children to be in professions that you know you could just do a nine-to-five job and not have to do anything extra and earn a good living from it
1: yeah 100 you always it's natural you always want like to sort of progress your lineage i guess is, is probably the, the right terminology there but like to just make things easier as for, for your kids and hopefully them kids will make it easier for their kids and and so on and so forth uh but Obviously, you, you did have that passion and you did your degree in art as well. Um, what sort of sparked the interest in in becoming a teacher? Because uh, we, we've obviously spoken on the phone before this and you did say there was like a very interesting uh, story. when. so basically somebody said to you that you, you'd be very good in, in the teaching role.
0: Yeah, it was um, well, basically I did an arts degree and graduated and um, I was applying for a number of jobs and it was just really hard to actually break into the creative market <laughs> and um, we didn't have a lot of um, help from universities when i went to university there wasn't a lot of kind of um links with industry the way that they're kind of being pushed to have now yeah and there was no accountability for universities to say that their graduates um, were in employment or nobody was looking at those kind of stats and data at that time And I remember I used to work part-time in customer care as a student to support myself. So that ended up being my full-time job. I was actually doing accounts management for a call Mm centre. So again, applying through jobs, uh, one job that I did end up getting was for a local art gallery. And it was an educational artist. And I wasn't quite sure about it. But when I looked at the brief, I thought, yeah, that's something I can do. And um, it was any kind of exhibition the art gallery had, I would work with different community groups and local school groups, and we would generate work as a response to the exhibition. And then the art gallery would have a open evening or day where the students work would be on display. And I'll be honest, it was something that I really enjoyed. I was creative. I got to work with children as well as adults, and it was just something that you're not clock watching, what are you doing? And it was the curator of the art gallery, um, Kate. I'll never forget it. She was just like, you have to become a teacher. And I was still like, I don't think I can teach. I, I think you've got that wrong. And um, she filled out my UCAS form. It was um, clearing as well. I didn't actually apply on time. But as they say, what's meant to be is meant to be. I was um, went through clearing, one of 30 applicants, um, to be interviewed and there was only two positions left on uh, the post-grad but I got through and never kind of looked back and that's how the teaching career started.
1: Yeah I I think you hit the nail on the head when you said what's meant to be is what meant to be because I remember when you told me that story obviously like but before this and and it is one of them things where it's just like gismuth fate whatever you want to call it but I think you hit the nail on the on the head there is uh because even that like out of 30 people just having two positions of a degree that you weren't necessarily aiming to get into before having a conversation at a work experience mm-hmm. and then it just became the rest of your life sort of thing it is a it's, yeah. it's it's very uh yeah i don't know how else to explain it
0: it is it's it's what you just said it's that guessmath kind of thing and you just um i mean let's just put it that way in over 15 years i hand on heart have never clock watched I'm not saying it's not demanding, it's not testing at times, of course it is. You know, teachers have one of the hardest kind of jobs, I feel, Mm -hmm. but um, at the same time, any public sector worker will have a hard job because it's the profession that we're in. We're more about serving the public than we are about making money. But at the same time, if you're enjoying what you do, it really doesn't feel, it's not a job, it is a vocation to me. So I really feel blessed that I'm in the profession and um, yeah, I'm you know I'm not bored with it yet let's just put it that way
1: <laughs> it's the best way to be if you're enjoying what you do then it's that age old saying isn't it like if you enjoy what you do then it's not a job it's just like it's, it's what you enjoy and it's your hobby I yeah. say the age old saying and I butchered the saying
0: <laughs> well I think that saying is um you know find a job that you enjoy doing and then you'll never work a day in your life
1: that's the one that's what I was trying to think <laughs> of <laughs> coming to the rescue what what age group do you teach
0: um, I'm qualified to teach 11 to 18 year olds, but um, I've had various jobs of I've, I've got a good experience and like I'm blessed that I've been able to teach at university and college level as well. And I'd say each age group is very different and um, there's good and bad points with each one, but as a whole, I do actually enjoy working in secondary schools.
1: So that's like the, the sort of older older kids.
0: Yeah, yeah, not your primary age, so 11 to 18-year-olds.
1: Why is that? Why do you find that as uh, what you like more?
0: Um, I just, um, I think they keep you young. They keep you kind of um, on the ball, definitely. So <laughs> you've got to be alert all the time. But it's just that kind of, um, I think young people have um, have this kind of resilience to life probably because they haven't got the experience of life. But what I've found is um, the older people get, the more kind of hopeless they become. And I don't mean that in a negative way that people are just hopeless. I mean it in a way that they actually lose hope in their dreams and aspirations. Mm-hmm. But when you're working with young people and they've got their own kind of um, trials and tribulations growing up where they're constantly questioning th- themselves. But I find that they're honest, they're kind of willing to still take on risks at that age and just be themselves, especially in kind of like the creative sector, my subject. It's um, not about impressing anybody, it's not about fitting in, it's about being who you are authentically. And that's all I need for them to be in their creativity. And they, they rise up to the challenge, they really do.
1: Do you find that over over the 15 years that you've been teaching there's been an increase of not just up in it, but ethnically diverse because i think most most like kids from like a say minority background probably have a similar sort of thing that you did um, when you yeah. went into it uh, of like you the parents saying let's go into a secure stable job do you ha- do you find that within this 10 15 years there's been an increase in like ethnically diverse kids getting into the arts or mm-hmm. is it
0: definitely like if you're if you if we have a look at like the demographic groups of when i first went into teaching i would have my gcse and especially a level groups would be predominantly white kids Mm -hmm. and it isn't because um you know asian black chinese kids aren't talented they are it's just they weren't being pushed to kind of pursue that as a career it was okay to do as a hobby but you don't want to have a qualification in that well okay you can do it as a GCSE but you're not picking it as an A level I had a lot of students who who would be upset about you know certain things that their parents had said and we understood why everything was happening the way that it was we'd have meetings with the parents and in the end I mean I would always keep my room open for these students I'd run a lot of extracurricular activities so even if they didn't pick it as an a level they knew the art room's always open for them and they can come and do something after school but yeah definitely as we you know the years have progressed i would say you get a very mixed kind of cohort of students picking it at gcse and then also at a level now it's not such a taboo anymore for people to pick the subject or for parents to be kind of being supportive and um, there's been i mean we talk about the asian community but i'd say um African black families, Mm -hmm. very academic families, push their kids very hard, and um, there's been a change in that as well. There's been a serious change where even um, the black African African families have um, actually allowed their, you know, sons and daughters to pursue creativity as a profession.
1: Yeah, that's why I sort of said it as as a whole with ethnic minorities in general because I feel like. Again, go back to like the earlier point we made is, is of the of the immigrant parents wanting more sort of security for the kids. And I feel like mm-hmm. that is the same. And you, you see it, obviously, it's just if, if the parents see in hardship, they don't want their kid to do it. So they, they see the easier office life and sort of say, go down that path. When when you said you were applying for jobs, so you had the, the art gallery job, and obviously now that you're a teacher, but for when you're trying to explain to parents that there is an income that you can make from this, other than them two roles what what can you actually go into
0: i think um that you become more knowledgeable as um your kind of teaching because a huge part of um teaching is we do have to we do have to give them lessons on careers and where the actual um educational path leads into industry so and again i think education has developed and gone leaps and bounds in that sense where you know universities are making those links with actual industry placements so you're not just kind of left to your own devices after getting a degree you have an insight or you have contacts where you are able to go and do work experience or you have that kind of extra help to help you into the industry so that's really helped in that way we've um just as like even looking at school age we work a lot with different kind of organizations so like the Black Country Museum and um, RAF Cosford I did a project with them which was a steam project but a huge part of um, us going into work with the Royal Air Force was we got access to their workshops where the engineers and the different types of managers and apprenticeships were working well, and um, you know one thing that we asked was will our A level students do still life as a project, would it be okay if they came in and they were drawing these old artifacts and old kind of you know salvaged warcraft that you've got here. They were more than happy to let the art students in that then developed into an art exhibition which they had in their open week. So you can imagine you know those parents going to that exhibition and seeing their child's work is actually in an exhibition with the Royal Air Force for a whole week. Mm-hmm. They were immensely proud about that. And yeah. Then, yeah. You know, they see the value of it. They see that um, creativity has a value and appreciation out there. But then I think one thing that most people miss is um, they always think of artist, graphic designer, illustrator, which are all great job roles. I'm not knocking them. But they fail to realize that creative communication, visual communication is everywhere from, you know, surface pattern, looking at interior design, looking at your street signs, there's always a designer behind everything that's out there in life. And I think when you start looking at that, that's when they start kind of entertaining the ideas. Oh, okay. So they wouldn't just be like a Van Gogh painter who's going to die very poor (laughs) and then become famous and rich once he's dead. And you're like, yeah, you know, there are professions out there. It's just about I think having that knowledge and making it accessible to parents as well as students
1: and i think now now more so than probably ever before because with something like social media and the amount of brands that are popping up left right, and center and like anybody can create a business now sitting from their home as we've probably seen with this lockdown how many people have started a side hustle uh, this podcast is one of them uh, examples um and you do need a, a, an artist but for for any of that like if you're if you're doing marketing branding all of that things you, you, you do need someone who can create something that will convey a message uh in and sort of whatever you want to sort of portray in, in a nice like little succinct sort of uh easy picture or or Graphic or anything to be fair, like even uh, even things like infographs are very popular on on social media now. It's just like a jam packed information, but you need to have them templates and designs and things. So that is that is something that I actually never thought of before. I probably was um, maybe naively thinking of the Van Gogh situation that you described earlier uh, yeah. going into it. But I think that's as you say. I think that is most people.
0: Yeah, it is. And it's um, I think unless you go down the arts route, because I I know for a fact the variety of degrees available in creative arts is immense now compared to when I went to university. Mm -hmm. You know, you had your set courses where like textiles, graphic design, fine art, photography. But now there's so many kind of um, different titles of courses and you can see that they're actually tailor made for a certain industry. Yeah. you know it's uh, i think when you start seeing um, a faculty grow within its subject ranges you realize there's an actual need for it and i think everyone's heard of the you know ai is going to take over and you know what jobs are they going to be left if most of them are automated well creativity is one thing that you can't program a machine to do
1: very very true but aren't uh, 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 like machines now learning emotions and things which is a scary thought in itself
0: yeah i mean they are but we've still got some time to go and then i think um you know these are going to be huge kind of debates and conversations about well what is authentically human what does it mean to be human and i think creativity kind of captures that which you can't you can't capitalize it in a machine doesn't matter how many algorithms you teach a machine or how much it mimics at human behavior it will never actually be human will it
1: yeah true Uh, but i i I agree with that because i feel like obviously all the 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 paintings and the art pieces that i've seen that have basically prompted me to to reach out to the artists that i've had on the podcast so far including yourself but like the the farmers protest portraits which we'll we'll get onto shortly do sort of capture that emotion and do make you sort of pause and sort of think and, and obviously flare up the emotions within yourself but I feel like there will be a point where like, you know, when when I think they, they did a test of, of like the grand chess master versus a, a computer. And it was like whenever the computer eventually beat the chess master, that, that was like the sign of its intelligence, I guess. And now now and this was maybe 20, 30 years ago. Uh, so like now, obviously, like you, you're never going to beat a computer if you put it on like a, a really hard, hard difficulty, it's going to outmanoeuvre you straight away. But I feel okay. like they'll probably. Or- Sorry,
0: go on. I've heard that analogy before and um, what I, the way that we kind of discussed it, me and my colleagues, was um, it's almost saying like when you're coming up with uh, mathematical formulas, because when you're playing chess, it's almost very similar to mm-hmm. that kind of way of thinking. So if you've got kind of set values that you put into a machine, there's going to be various kind of combinations that machine can come up with. And yes, it's going to be a lot faster, it's going to be a lot more efficient to accomplishing all the different combinations, you know, than a human would. But if I put in, say, the primary colours, there's no kind of combinations or set, you know, algorithms that those colours mix together and what they create are going to come out. It's endless. Yeah so to me that's where it becomes yeah you know we might get artificial intelligence being creative in its own right but that will never take away from a human being who's being creative in their own right as well
1: yeah i, I, I and i understand and I, again i i am on probably the human side of it because i feel like uh, the artist sort of past experiences very much play into how like the, the emotion is put into the art piece and that's the emotion that you receive as the the viewer uh or the person who's like looking at the art piece and um, will sort of um see what they want to see in it that it'll speak to everybody differently because the artists will put their past experiences in but when you're looking at it you might put your past experiences into what you're viewing as well which i don't think a uh, a computer can sort of um, emulate is probably the right word but it is a really interesting topic nonetheless I'm a bit of a tech nerd myself so when all this new stuff is coming mm-hmm. out you, you do sort of wonder and obviously growing up with the Terminator movies you're just thinking is Skyrim yeah, going to come
0: I think they're all great tools so I'm not writing them off. and um this is coming from somebody who like over eight years ago was like oh no I'm never going to use um digital painting i'm going to mm-hmm. stick to my traditional materials you know i was very much in that mindset personally yeah and yet being in education you know i'm constantly learning so slowly but surely i've moved into that digital painting kind of field as well and now i can see what's the pros about it as well as the cons but then i just think it's like every tool you know you use you use it to your kind of best intentions and what you can get out of it so in that aspect I would you know give everything a go if it works for you great if it doesn't then you know you can work with something else
1: so do you have to learn these sort of uh, different techniques to to like sort of relay them onto your students
0: yeah so I mean again it's like this is why I love my profession and um, teaching is constantly learning yourself you're constantly learning not about just the subject that you're teaching but also you're learning about human behavior and looking at how your learners best respond so you know you'll never teach this well i will never teach the same lesson the same way ever again because each time i learn something from my students and i know how to better kind of prepare resources or a better way of their kind of understanding of how I can actually get this concept across to the students, and that's why it, it's like a continuous cycle. You're teaching, you're learning at the same time, and your practice is just improving each, the more you do it.
1: Yeah, you don't really, um, you don't really think of that when you're a kid, though, sitting in the uh, in like a in like a desk, looking up to the teacher, thinking they've got all the answers, and that's it. They've just learned everything once, and they're just dishing out the same lesson over and over and over again. But the way that you put it is obviously very contrasting to that that, to that opinion
0: oh yeah I think and um I think I don't know it's like changed because um students are a lot more vocal now some of the questions I get I wouldn't have dared ask my teachers when I was at school but um I like the fact that they're more confident and they're inquisitive in asking about things because I mean if you're going to learn from it ask away
1: yeah do do you think uh, the internet plays like a large role in that and and sort of not just like obviously the, the changing behaviors, but like if if you can't ask your teacher, then you're probably just going to Google it anyway. Do you know what I mean? So you may as well just ask your teacher yeah. and they're probably going to have a more reliable source than the top link on Google, which is probably oh, of course. a and clickbait.
0: Like when I talk to my students and say I had to use books in a library to research artists, they <laughs> are just full of shock where it's like, you know, I think the term is that's long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah you know it, you learn certain things but again it's like everything's a tool when we were younger we were very much kind of pushed to research and use your very famous or well-known artists your traditional artists now you find um GCSE A level students will come with artists that are I don't know semi-famous on Instagram or sometimes even artists that aren't even that well-known on Instagram but they've actually appreciate their work and they're fallen in love with the style of that artist and I'll always encourage them to find an artist that speaks to them and use that artist in their actual work.
1: Yeah, it's it is very interesting because it isn't like co- like conventional media anymore, is it? It's not like 10, 15 yeah,
0: years ago. So, you know, it's rare to find a art project now, a level art project now where the students have used um, just your kind of Da Vinci, Van Gogh, Picasso, and um even if we're looking at the modern artist, that you know. If they've got Emin in there, they've got David Hockney or something, what you'll find is you'll always find a name of an artist that you did not know about, but they've sourced this person through social media. And I think, again, that's where it kind of confirms what I was saying to you. We're learning constantly. I get to see a variety of artwork that I never knew existed out there.
1: Which is crazy when you think about it, like, it, it it's just nuts, isn't it? Like, uh, you when we were speaking beforehand, you mentioned the, the Andy Warhol quote, and I think that's very, like, sort of... Oh, yeah.
0: You know, the fact that he's like, everyone will be, everyone in their lives will have 15 minutes of fame. And I think social media has actually made that come true. Rising Reality TV was starting that, mm-hmm. but having these personal individual profiles on social media definitely has kind of brought that quote to life and it is a way of life now so everyone's got their 15 minutes of fame it just depends on what you're going to use it for
1: yeah exactly and if you can inspire someone obviously like artist was then obviously uh, amazing um and and i think i seen this thing recently i think it might have been like the daily mail or something uh has had this like headline of if you have over thirty thousand instagram followers you are classified as a ce- as a celebrity which i just thought was hilarious because if if you look at the amount of profiles that will have over thirty thousand 000 followers there will be a lot of people who can technically classify themselves as a celebrity but that definition has definitely changed from from when i was young um t- till now and but but it goes back to what you say is like if if a kid comes in and, and it's with an artist that is unknown then.
0: A generational thing because um you've just reminded me of something i was um I was at the Asian Woman Festival and I think I upset quite a lot of young influencers because um, as you do your networking and there were certain people who, their assumption was you must know who I am. And I, (laughs) I, hand on heart, was clueless to who these people were. And then afterwards I was being told, oh, they've got so many followers on Instagram or social media, Twitter, whatever. And they do this and that. And I was like, okay, that's great. But I've never heard of them.
1: It's hard because if there's going to be that many more quote-unquote influencers or people with over 30,000 followers or so they're celebrities now, if there's that many, it sort of diminishes the the value of the term. Like a celebrity was someone who was very well known, like a household name almost. But as I say, like the amount of accounts that will have over 30,000 followers, that that they might be celebrity is not they have like the numerical figure but it's not actually it doesn't hold as much weight as it once did if that makes sense
0: i'll be honest this is like a can of worms and it's mainly my older students that i hear quite a lot of um, negative things from regarding social media so as well as they're inspired by it you will hear them going i'm never going to be as good as so and so so you know that's an excuse not to even try I'm a very big kind of advocate for focusing on your own art.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. So the way that I teach and the way that I actually, you know, practice my own art is it may sound arrogant, but I don't look outside. I'm so focused on what I'm doing and I'm trying to develop and become better at what I'm doing. I haven't got time to see how many people have liked it or shared it. It's you know I'll I'll just put it out there and it's there. It got that old saying: one man's treasure is another man's trash. Mm-hmm. So I, again, I'm probably showing my age here because the younger generation are more savvy on how to build up their algorithms and get more followers and things. But I think it's your intention if you're going out for that kind of presence on social media and that's what matters to you it's going to become a double-edged sword where well you know with how how much are you focused on your creativity and how much focus do you give on um, the acknowledgement of your creativity for the attention that your creativity is getting and i mean most people do seem to find a balance with it and it's different for each individual But as long as I think you're in a healthy place and um, your mental health and well-being is okay, then there's no right or wrong way of using social media. But if it's to your own detriment and you're constantly questioning or constantly checking your phone for certain things, then, you know, something is off balance there.
1: Yeah, 100 percent. Like, I feel like you can sort of get desensitized to what's actually happening and just focus on like social media numbers. Uh, an example that pops into my head and I'm not sure if you, you'll know this person or maybe you've heard of his name, is it's called Logan Paul?
0: Um, No.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't think so to be fair. <laughs> uh, he's, he's, he's a YouTuber basically. And he's a YouTuber in America and he had like a very um big, very young uh, target audience. And I think he was like a a, a Disney star or something of the sort, and uh, then he transitioned into YouTube. But his things were so explosive, and like his videos, at every five seconds was basically right in your face, bright colors, all of that malachy. But he was pushing the boat out every single video because his views were going up. And and when I say his views were going up, like he was getting tens of millions of views per per video and things. And he got to the point where it didn't really matter what was happening in the video morally as mm-hmm. long as the views were getting were going up um like no
0: shock tactics
1: yeah shock tactics but nobody was questioning it until he went to japan you might have heard this this part of the story because i think this got a lot of coverage was he went to japan and there's a suicide forest in japan and he went in filming a a youtube video and basically captured a a dead body um and he he had it on his youtube video which is targeted to a a very young audience and although he pixelated the body you could still see the outlines or like blurred it you could still Mm -hmm. see there was a a a dead body in in a suicide forest in japan and i think after that he sort of obviously got a lot of backlash he got quote unquote cancelled even though he's he's like sort of came back but in his reflection, he said, this was the crack, like, I, I'm so bothered about the numbers going up, I became desensitized to what actually was happening. He didn't have any, no men, he just had yes men. There was nobody actually to check his morality in any of his decisions. And I think a lot of people can get caught up in that because, um again, chasing the numbers and things, it's it's so dangerous. As I've said it countless times where the, the benefits of social media are very apparent, but these drawbacks are, are, are very subtle
0: um, again you know to quote spider-man with great power (laughs) (laughs) it's true you know it's um it's i I can see how it's very easy for people to lose sight of what's ethical and what's not and again that's going to be very individual to the person but sometimes you have to step back from what you're doing it's um from what i can tell the whole social media game is a slippery slope you can really get sucked into it where you know you're doing and saying things that really aren't your character at all
1: but say them for adulation and and it happens and the worst thing is is that it happens to a lot of young people when they haven't actually formulated their own thoughts yet or haven't cognitively actually like grown like fully
0: um just example from my own family my younger nieces and nephews i think it was my niece that came out with um you know she she, she'd be extremely happy if she had a million followers on youtube and um when i asked her why what does that mean she's clueless she hasn't connected the dots that oh the more followers you got the more kind of money you can make because the advertising companies will push their adverts through your page and things like that she was just like it'll make me happy because the world has told her, the more following you got, the happier you will be.
1: Yeah, it is, it is very, very slippy. And I feel like this, this is another tangent that we're going on. And I want to, I want to sort of get back on the topic of, of yourself, because although this is very important, um, I wanted to ask you, who, who are your sort of artistic inspirations? I know you said before that you don't really look too much outside to, uh, to external sources and you focus on yourself, but surely um some people would have influenced you
0: you know especially at the start of our journey and continuously you are inspired by others um i think my greatest kind of inspirations growing up was like da vinci because um i'm an absolute geek when it comes to physics and astrophysics so i'm there with my telescope and to find an artist that was a scientist an astronomer an inventor and then you know the amazing pieces of art that he's done I really used to was a very avid fan and um, yeah, researched him immensely and was influenced by him immensely. It just in the way that he approached everything in life was creative to him, whether it was the sciences, engineering, technology, and you kind of see that reflected now in the world where you've got these kind of STEAM courses coming out, which, you know, brings together the whole science, technology, engineering, art and mathematics. And, it is true, you know, everything we do, it isn't just nicely boxed up into one subject area. You will dip into other things. And I think that's kind of um the beauty of learning. And the great thing about creativity is all bets are off. You know, the more you kind of learn about things and different artists, the more inspired you get. But um I wouldn't say I kind of follow any kind of trends or styles in that way. And um, just being an art teacher because i'm constantly learning and teaching a very wide variety of techniques and processes i find it's influenced me as an artist where you know if i'm doing um, i don't know block printing you'll see me do a lot of block printing in my own artwork if i'm doing digital paintings then i'll start doing a lot of digital paintings in my own work if i'm teaching um, something to do with textiles or 3d model making then i'll give that a go but i i just find that's great for me it just helps me grow because i think creativity can have a variety of outlets and i don't really want to be boxed into oh she's an oil painter or she's this type of artist or this is her style so that's given me the freedom to kind of basically be inspired by whatever i find around me
1: yeah, just going back onto the Da Vinci thing, I, I had the fortune of going to uh, Florence. So I went to Italy with one of my mates a few years ago. We we took like a day trip to Florence and we went to the um, Ufuzi Museum uh, and it's where like the Medici family were and they, they were like a key role in like the renaissance and and were like financial backers of not just the Pope but da Vinci and 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 quite a few others and the da Vinci there's there's like a mini little da Vinci museum that is very close to it and it shows his um his like sketches uh, uh not just of like artwork but it was more the engineering side so when I when I went into there, i Honestly, I, I knew a bit, obviously, about, about him. You hear the word Da Vinci. I watched The the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> so, so I had a tiny inkling of who the man was. But when I went in there, and I'm thinking he's he's created, like, basically what an elevator is, like the leverage system for an elevator. He's created, like, the, some of the earliest versions of a tank. And it obviously he's done these amazing paintings like the Mona Lisa. I'm pretty sure... He had one of the first scuba diving, scuba diving suits, or like a a model yeah. for that as well. And it's just like, it's abs. If you don't believe in God, yeah, this when I was there, this is what I thought. Like, uh, you can't not believe in God because that one person has literally just changed how everything works, like completely everything. And it's not even an exaggeration. Like, imagine one person coming up with a tank, a catapult. So that's the military revolutionised an elevator, a scuba diving thing, which is like another fucking an industry sort of revolutionised. He's created a dome for churches, which is now iconic as well. And just one person's done all this. It's 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 absolutely mind boggling.
0: Yeah, and it's um I think what we always tend to forget is um. And of course, credit where it's due, you know, the one name will be left in history as a legacy and is famous. But can you imagine all the people that he interacted with, all the people that were an influence on him, mm-hmm. that then kind of, you know, have some sort of part to play in whatever he created?
1: Yeah, well, exactly. Like, and, and, um, that when I was like obviously there I went to this Uffizi museum and the Medici family were like a really big part of this and it was really weird because as soon as I came back from Italy there was a new Netflix show called Medici and it was about them so it was like perfect timing and I sort of got caught in this sort of like you know when you go down the the like rabbit holes and it, it was very much about this family and the influence that they had uh yeah. in like in that time of of well humanity I guess was was really really um really really big the other thing that I actually thought was we i feel like and and this might be a bit of a weird sort of connection but i feel like elon musk is very similar in that sense now is in like one person going through different industries and sort of just progressing them oh, so no, much I, more I said, forward
0: your kind of link between the two people there it's um yeah because he's pushing um those boundaries with technology and engineering isn't he
1: there's so many industries, like uh, it, I think it was PayPal. I think was the company that he was involved in originally, and then he sold that, and then um, I think it was PayPal. It, it was something along those lines. It was like a tech company that he was involved in first, sold all the money, and then reinvested it into all these different things like Tesla, SpaceX, uh, and and I think there's like an energy uh, company as well that he had. But it's it's just as one person who's not revolutionizing one industry but multiple industries, and that's obviously similar to what Da Vinci did back then as well. But I think that goes back to a previous conversation we had was maybe Da Vinci, and you sort of alluded to it there, maybe Da Vinci's the name who gets accredited with these things, and, and maybe it was actually other people, like you said, who actually had influence of him, and then history sort of moulds it around a person.
0: No, I think it's fair enough to give credit to the name, but I think um, we should always be mindful. And this is like, even in your own personal practice, it's um, I'm always mindful of whatever I create. One, I'm very grateful for God to, you know, I'm in this position and I'm able to kind of express myself creatively because I do feel when you're creative, it's one of the most um, honest kind of expressions of being a human you know you're working straight from the heart onto a canvas or these days a digital screen but it's um it's that connection where there's no kind of outside influence or force there but at the same time i i'm very conscious of the fact that my creativity or the way that i work or see things has been built up from my experiences and my conversations and my interactions with all of the humans that i've come across in life and you know, they are some amazing people that have shaped me to become who I am.
1: I, I couldn't agree more. I feel like that is basically what this podcast is, is like, I, I find people who who inspire me, but I want to know what sort of has inspired and influenced them. Because there's always a backstory and, and it might be naive of thinking of everything like a Rocky movie, but it's, a, it's sort of like the, what was the sort of, the knockdown before the come, like the the comeback, if that makes sense. And what was the, the yeah. the people who played the roles in that comeback? Like who who was your um, who was your Adrian? <laughs> who was your who was your uh, Mickey and yeah, well, you I, I Mean
0: with um, the Rocky films, it, it, it is there's always something he's there's always an internal battle he's fighting against. Yeah. So as much as there's a physical outward fight that he's going to take, you know there's certain things. And I think the classic Rocky Four is, you know, he's he's fighting with losing his friend. He's, you know, dealing with that grief.
1: In my opinion, that's the best one as well. That's my favorite one. Um, but we'll not get we'll not get in the the Rocky sort of sidetrack. What we will do is sort of go uh, sort of into your art because we've sort of just mentioned there about your past experiences and and how it will shape your sort of creative endeavors and a. Uh, uh, I should probably say a shout out to um, uh, Art by TDR here because he is the one who mentioned you in the podcast that we did uh, and sort of highlighted who you were to me because I, I wasn't too aware before that one. But when I did get onto your page, this was around the time where you were doing the farmers' protest portraits. And as I messaged uh, you initially in setting this up, them are. I, I don't even know how you get that much attention to detail. Like when you look in the eyes of the portraits, you can you can feel the emotion like so strongly, like I, I, I couldn't even look in their eyes for like more than uh, like 30 seconds or a minute because you feel that sort of intensity from it. How how do you get to that point? Like how, how why did he even start that series and, and and how did you get them so, so much like a, a photograph almost?
0: I think it's, um, well, you know, those of us that have farming roots or family back at home in Punjab who are anyway affected by this, and even those people that don't have those kind of ancestral links, but they've got a kind of um, a deeper understanding of, you know, what farming is and what farmers do, and they see they see the importance of looking after, you know, the average person. And these people are like the key workers of the world, really, you know, it's um, it was just looking at that and being very moved by their plight. And yes, I've got family links, so it's gonna be a lot more personal and it's gonna be very kind of emotional for me in that way. I was just blown away by um, the photographic talent out there. There were so many, Indian photographers that were, you know, almost documenting the farmers protest through their creative photography. And I reached out to a few of them. And it was fine to use the photographs. But I'll be honest, when it comes to capturing that emotion in the portraits, the credit totally goes to the photographers. And um, I couldn't get these images out of my mind, I really couldn't. And what I find is really do I take on commissions, because one time restraints and um, the other is any artist will tell you they actually like the freedom of creating what they want to create without having the boundaries of um, you know commission kind of work where it's going to be set in certain parameters and done in a certain way but yeah looking at those portraits I just thought you know you constantly get asked for commissions of portraits of people because they feel like they've been immortalized once they've been painted and it's something that I don't know you know across the generations people have actually placed value with but to me it was um how can I show the biggest respect to these elders that are out there at the age that they are you know taking part in this protest and going through this hardship they're not doing it for themselves they're doing it for the future generations So that was, you know, my kind of attempt at just one, supporting the protest. But number two, definitely trying to show that respect to these elders, because in that series, I didn't pick one young protester. It's all elderly people that I've painted. And if I'm honest, as an artist, I actually prefer painting older people. Um, It's more interesting. There's more, you know, their faces tell a million stories of -hmm. their lives. So in that aspect, I think the credit will always go to the photographers for capturing that emotion. And um, again, what you said, when you look into the eyes, the emotion that pulls at you, you know, there's so many narratives behind each face. You'd be lost just looking at the actual portrait itself. And yet creating paintings from these photographs was it's more savour. It was honestly, I I just found like, it was a blessing to be able to do. And it kept me doing something positive towards the um, cause of the protest rather than, you know, getting um, caught up with my own personal emotional feelings and upset about it.
1: Yeah, no, 100%. And and I think they were so beautifully done. And obviously, like the photographers for capturing that emotion, that that's I think the again going back to sort of the social media conversation we we're saying before I think that's one of the the beauties of the internet and social media is that how fast things could travel nowadays like um, uh, during the height of it and it is still going on so we shouldn't like we shouldn't like uh, what is it rest on our laurels I think is the term um, we, we should obviously yeah, I mean, keep on going forward
0: momentum going so you know in that aspect I still even now when i'm going through i still get inspired by the photography that i'm seeing and um, i mean there's been so many artists that have done artwork to highlight the cause for the farmers and i just um i think slow and steady kind of wins the fight so as long as we can support them however we can from wherever we are we've just got to keep going
1: 100 and i i sort of um when we were speaking beforehand i, I said like I think the decision to just do elderly people was 100% right because of the the, the, the explanation that you just gave is their, their faces obviously tell way more stories and, and have like, I guess, well, it, it's just their lives, isn't it? The, I was going to say war, war scars, but they none of them really had scars, but you, you know the expression that I'm trying to say is like they, they yeah. sort of show the emotion through and through. And I think the, the thing is, is like a lot of, and it's not I don't want to sound like generic or stereotypical here but a lot of Asian elders or Indian elders do look very similar so for me when I was looking at some of the elder grandmas it actually reminded me of my nanny and, and I said this to you obviously when we were chatting uh, beforehand and it draws you in that even one step further do you know what I mean like for me especially because of because of that reason
0: Not almost definitely and I just think um you know it's there's no us and them you just realize we are part of that bigger family and I think um, as the diaspora has um, highlighted the cause and we've had people of um, non-Asian backgrounds that are backing us now you know you've got the Yorkshire farmers who are right behind the Indian farmers because they understand the plight they understand what's going on so in that aspect it is more like you know it's that global family feel where I'm saying they are key workers of the world so we do need the global family to be backing them and understanding
1: this. 100% and if, if anybody who is listening still doesn't really understand fully what is going on over there, um, myself, uh, Boxer inderbasi and Dr Shardeep Singh from Sikhs in Scotland did a podcast sort of breaking down what is happening it's all in english it's all i guess statistics sort of based as well so it's very easy to un- understand and we sort of break down why this protest has happened we obviously all know like all the human rights issues that has, have gone on and and we do cover that slightly but it is more so what the uh what the reason for the protest is happening and and, and why the farmers are actually protesting so if anybody obviously wants to check that out please do so um because it is it is Honestly, horrible. Uh, like, like yourself, I have family over there and getting regular updates and, and uh, my cousin's obviously uh, at the borders and things and sending videos over. It's, it's, it's inspiring, but it's it's inspiring from afar, which sort of has this helplessness at the same time. If that makes sense, like yeah. it's it's that uh, inspiring that they're going there and doing this, but it's all well and good then being inspiring while I'm sitting in England and I can't really do, I feel like I can't really do too much to actually make a difference other than raise awareness, give what you can to the organisations that are actually making the difference on on the ground over there.
0: Well, I think you've kind of said it, you know, do what you can from where you are. And I, I don't think we can do more than that. It's, um, you know, we're not all in India, we haven't all got the means to get up and go there and support them physically, but whatever we can do from wherever we are in the world, as long as you're trying your best to do that, I, I think um, that's what balances out what I meant to you about, you know, trying to subside those negative feelings and emotions about what's going on. Mm-hmm. I'd rather turn that into a positive. And if that's me creating a lot of artwork and creating awareness about it through that way, then, you know, that's me trying to do my little part in this.
1: No, 100%. And I think that's where, I think that's where like a lot of the South Asian community or Indian community or, or, or general sort of broader community has sort of came together. And it's a really nice thing because there is sometimes like a lot of division within our sort of communities and cultures and things like that especially like within the the South Asian community and and at this time it seems like I don't know if, if it's because of the, the bubble that I am I'm in and I'm not seeing the, the opposite side but it does seem like there's a lot of support there's a lot of unity where sometimes that there, there is actually division in the in the people who are now uniting together and not just uh not just that like, even artists as well, like there's been so many art pieces that have uh, that have came out from uh, this sort of protest that it's like the silver linings, if that makes sense. Like something uh, something so dark has, has created something so beautiful.
0: Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, that always happens. That's the kind of endeavor of the human spirit, isn't it? When we're faced with such kind of dark times it's amazing how the human spirit bounces back and you know the most inspirational things are done during the most difficult hardships that we will face
1: 100 but you you don't only just like uh, do portraits of of indian farmers protests which although are very important you do other work as well um and obviously going through your instagram pages there's a, a whole host of of different paintings it's not just it's not just even Indian in general there's there's Bruce Lee there's Egyptian paintings there's on art, animal artworks there's there's John Wick <laughs> there's all sorts. so uh, is it best to sort of summarize and just saying that anything that sort of interests you or, or sparks that passion you'll then go on and create an artwork
0: um, I think it comes back to that thing of you know I'm what I've realized is Creativity is a personal passion but when it comes to me as a person or a professional passion I'm I'm very much passionate about education. I always wanted a profession where I felt like I made a difference in the world and education has given me that. So this is my personal kind of creativity outlet and I'm not constrained by any style or any kind of um I must have my page looking this way or my, or my artwork must follow some sort of um, style or trend it's where people can identify it's my piece of work I'm I'm very spree- free in that way I, um, I do what I like and it's as simple as that it's you know if you like it great if you don't like it that's also great you know everyone's got their own opinion but for me it's just I'm enjoying myself I'm just doing things that I find interesting or that are, you know I find inspiring or they've been my role models or icons when I was growing up so what I do find is I've um, I would say that my work is heavily influenced by kind of human rights and social activism
1: mm-hmm.
0: so you know again it's that it's probably my kind of um, outlet of things that I'm issues that I'm passionate about and how I can possibly support them
1: yeah I think the thing that, like, I've I've said this on like the uh, when I was speaking to Kirpa before uh, in my first sort of introduction to art, other than sort of like uh, the the Sikh side of things, which is like the the, the portraits of um, Guru Gobind Singh Ji, Guru Nanak Dev Ji, and, and and things like that, but was sort of at like GCSE history level, and uh, it's the I think the artist's name was David lowe and he was basically the guy who did all the churchill world war 1 world war 2 type cartoons uh in in like um in the newspapers and it's it does encapsulate something that was going on in in such a nice succinct way and i think that's what sort of you've just like alluded to there is like when these issues are going on in the world it's sort of a more digestible way to sort of highlight them issues if that makes sense
0: yeah and it's, um, I think, you know, as an artist, you're, you're constantly interpreting the world that you live in through your work. So that's why every artist is going to be very varied and every artist is going to be depicting things that were personal and um, somehow influence them. And I think that's the beauty of kind of creativity, whether it's poetry, artwork, music, you, you kind of get an insight into that individual and how they experience life and things that move them.
1: Yeah, and it's like what you said earlier on, of, if it's like you're laying yourself bare, like so sort of everybody can and uh, see your like innermost, deepest thoughts and, and emotions because that's what you're conveying in, in a piece.
0: Yeah, and um, I've got a very good friend who's um, a well-known artist, but I won't mention his name just in case he gets embarrassed, but he describes it when he works he says that he really feels that God's working through him mm. and if he doesn't discipline himself and allocate time to his creativity in the day he feels like he's letting the talents or the gifts that God gave him go to waste
1: that is a, that's a really nice way of putting it to be fair yeah
0: yeah and I really synchronize with that taking the I out of it because when you're, when we're, I, I synchronise within, like, when we're creating, there's no I in there. You're so focused on what you're doing and you're just so caught up in what you're painting or drawing. There's, um the concept of I made this completely disappears.
1: It is interesting, like, because, I don't know, I think, again, going back to that social media thing but with followers and artists and, and sort of trying to make a name for yourself and and even what you said before of like sort of stamping a style so that your your artwork is very much identifiable to to that one person mm. there, there does seem to be a lot of ego attached to it from from that sort of perspective i don't i don't know if that's like uh um I, I don't want it to come out as negative as i probably perhaps made that sound
0: i but. think if you balance it out in this way it's um I can't be seen as somebody who's taking um, her creative artwork as um, a means to earn a living yeah so straight away though I haven't got those restraints I'm not looking at my creativity to earn an income from that's gonna you know pay my bills keep a roof over my head so hence why I said I'm very free and I just do what speaks to me. I create what I want to, what I'm interested in. But I'm I've got a lot of friends who do work as freelance artists. And do you know what? It's I think intention is the most important thing. It's um they've got that imbalance, they know that they've got to have a certain style, they know that their artwork's gonna be recognizable. And that's why people approach them because they want something done in their style. So again, there's pros and cons to everything. It's not always attached to ego. Sometimes it's, um, you know, just having um, professional creative knowledge and knowing that this is my profession, this is how I earn a living, and this is how I'm gonna help myself best to progress up that ladder. So I see that as um, me going for training in education you know, teachers are constantly doing training on various issues from safeguarding to creative courses. I've got to constantly be learning the tricks of my trade. So I suppose these artists are learning the tricks of their trade.
1: Yeah, that's probably a better way of putting it, because I didn't, I didn't mean for it to sound as negative. But then when I was saying it, I could understand how it would come out negative, because I think when you put the word ego, out and when you use it in a sentence there's, all, there's already like negative connotations but as as i was sort of uh saying to yourself i think in a conversation that we had beforehand is when you when you speak to say say sort of competitors like boxers, they they have to have egos and and i've spoke to a few on the podcast and it does it, it it's it does shine through but they it's it's i'm not saying that in a negative way i'm saying that as in a they need to believe where they're going to go. If they don't believe they're going to win a fight, then they'll probably get the asses handed to them, and and that's obviously not what they're going in for. And yeah. do you that know what I mean? Whole
0: like mind over matter. You know, you've got to conceive it and you've got to believe it for it to actually be a reality. If you don't believe in yourself, then you know, how do you expect others to? One
1: hundred percent, one hundred percent. So I've really enjoyed this conversation as a whole because I've learned quite a lot. Um, And Obviously, we've had conversations before this on the phone leading up to this and I already said beforehand as well the few points that were raised that it makes me change sort of my perspective on how I've seen things because I think uh, as we've sort of like said throughout this podcast is it's that continuous learning aspect isn't it and and seeing different perspectives and for, for yourself when you're dealing with different children, you'll probably see different perspectives and adjust accordingly and and as i say i'm i'm, I'm 24 I'm, I'm still quite a young lad so i'm i'm learning as i go along and when i'm speaking to everybody through this podcast i'm i'm picking up different perspectives and seeing things in different ways so this has been a really fascinating really really fascinating so i i really appreciate you, you carving the time out
0: no no, no. Uh, thank you and um there's one thing that i would like to say is that i think it's great what you're doing because um i don't think we've got enough platforms that allow people to discuss and almost debate in a safe environment because we're so polarized and this whole cancelling culture, I think people have lost the art of um, listening and debating and even if you don't agree on similar points of view, you should have enough kind of, um, I don't know, humility within yourself to be able to hear another person out without taking it personally offensive. And just like you said, you know, I've learned a lot from you as well. So, age is no kind of um indicator of who's more knowledgeable and who's not. It's just we, you know, we can all learn from one another.
1: Trevor, now what you've learned from me, like, <laughs> I don't really offer too much. <laughs>
0: well, I've learned that not all 24 year olds are, you know, obsessed with taking selfies. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not obsessed with taking selfies. I'm, I'm very camera shy. Um, <laughs> But no, uh, the, the way that I uh, like to round off each podcast, as as you well know, is the quick-fire questions. So um, it's five questions that I ask every single guest and uh, sort of in a quick-fire fashion, I guess you could call them. So okay. um, the first one is, what are you most proud of?
0: Oh, good. Right, um, I think at my age, and I am 41, so I'll just put it out there. Um, Pride kind of gets replaced with feeling blessed. So I might have used that word when I was younger, but now I'm just blessed for, you know, every positive experience that I have. But I'm, I'm very blessed to be a part of a journey with young students to help them achieve something that they, you know, when you get students in, they're always like, I can never do this. But to help them, guide them, and see them actually create something they thought they could never create, I think that has been the most kind of humbling and blessing experience. So I'm always, always proud of what my students create. I think I'm probably, you know, more proud of their artwork than they are <laughs> in that way. I, I honestly, I just think um, when it comes to pride now, it's always how you elevate others. That gives you a very, a very dignified, but very kind of humble, way of being proud about something
1: that's a nice take on it i haven't had like a, an answer like that so far so that is a very good take um what are you most looking forward to
0: um i think as a teacher and a creative person it's learning i'm constantly learning about not just my own profession and education but also you know the new technologies that are available in creativity now so my kind of looking forward is always, I wonder what else is going to be out there. So I'm a bit of a tech freak like yourself. (laughs) But when it comes to looking at digital paintings and now that I've got my head around it and all the different kind of digital technologies that are at our fingertips, and I think that's what I look forward to most is what is there out there that I don't know about? Because I think you probably feel it yourself. The more you learn, the more you realise how much you don't know.
1: 100%, yeah. Definitely. Um, What is your biggest motivation?
0: Um, I think this is very much linked to my kind of personal, personal characteristics and just who I am as a person. I'm a huge advert and, you know, champion of equality. So my biggest motivation is just to be able to support and inspire people to be you know, a better version of themselves. And that goes for me as well. I think my biggest motivation is as long as I'm improving, and I'm a better version of who I was yesterday, I can't think of anything else that would be more more motivating than that.
1: What is your definition of success?
0: Um, Again, I think I'm going to be speaking from a place of age here. To me, success is very simple. If you're fortunate enough to make a difference in somebody else's life I would define that as a successful life so it's not really a set goal anymore to me success is something I don't strive for but what I do find I look at the life journey as a whole so if you're asking me what would I say is my definition of a successful life it's how many people did you touch how many people did you help during your journey here and you know if you're able to even help one that's a success
1: smashed it and uh last but not least because it's the culture cast podcast how has your culture affected you in your journey this far
0: um again i think we're all products of our kind of cultural experiences growing up and you know, that's constantly feeding into our psyche and almost moulding the characters that we become. But if there's one thing that I would say, being Punjabi Sikh, that has really instilled in me certain values, it's my work ethic. And I don't just mean watching our older generations, you know, burning the candle at both sides, working so hard, but the honesty that they did it with. Mm -hmm. So what we call Pertakaro in Punjabi, you know, the three pillars of Sikhism, yeah, I I really feel like my work ethic comes definitely from being a Punjabi Sikh person, where you don't do a half-hearted job. You know, you're gonna do something, you do it properly.
1: I love that answer because I feel like when we're talking about stereotypes, that's probably the one stereotype that South Asians get, which is fairly positive, and yeah. uh, and is accurate as well. Because obviously stereotypes aren't always accurate, and most of the time they're not positive. But that one is a is a really good one because it is both um accurate and positive for the most part for the most part um and again uh, i have really enjoyed this conversation it's been it's been really good not just this one obviously but the the conversations we've had even leading up to this one uh have, have all been like really really fascinating um is is there anything that you want to say just before we finish or plug or uh, or anything like that i'll have like uh, your instagram and things linked in the, the description
0: no not at all but um just genuinely what i said to you at the beginning of it i am like you know i think it's great what you're doing because um the more i have been listening to your podcast now the more i realise that do you know what this kid's actually providing a safe place for dialogue
1: oh you're gonna make me blush
0: (laughs) i thought you were gonna say hi then (laughs) you went down the girly route and said (laughs)